as I'm praying that, I'm smelling something that's coming from the kitchen that smells delightful. So whoever brought that, thank you. <laughs> Acts chapter 1. The, the author of Acts uh, is widely agreed. I haven't heard anybody say, I've never met anybody disagree with the fact that Luke wrote it, although he didn't identify himself as Luke. It's his the way he spoke and what he says uh, in his in the opening of the book of Acts and uh, in the, the opening of uh, the gospel according to Luke. So uh, Luke uh, is, is the, the author. Now, uh, what will uh, solidify that for us is if uh, I don't if it's up there, Luke chapter one, verse one says, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about the gospel. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed." So uh, there is, uh, with Luke writing this and um, this that gospel account and the book of Acts, uh, it's also important to understand there's a possibility, and it's I've, I've almost heard a 50-50 split on whether Luke also wrote Hebrews or not. Uh, many believe that uh, it was either, uh, what I've, the only two arguments I've ever heard or, or, or read were Luke or Paul, and I'll take either of them. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, it's nothing that uh, we should ever have uh, any big contention with other believers over. You can have a, a, a good in-depth conversation and say, well, I read right here and Paul used to say this and Luke, Luke wrote like this. Whatever. doesn't matter. We know that the Holy Spirit wrote uh, the scriptures and uh, whether he used Luke's hand or Paul's doesn't really matter. I personally believe that it's Paul uh, that 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 wrote uh, the the book of Hebrews, but uh, just uh, just as an added note, Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke. We know that for sure, and uh, it is almost exclusively uh, or uh, majority uh, of the people that I've ever I've never heard anybody say that Luke didn't write Acts, even though he didn't say my hand Luke or whatever, where he says uh, most excellent Theophilus in here, and then when we get into Acts chapter one, you'll see Theophilus being addressed also. Now this Theophilus uh, is is unknown and the Bible doesn't really reveal uh, who exactly it is. So there are many theories, uh, nothing concrete. It's another one of those things that I would say isn't really that important. It's a neat study. Uh, and I, I, I read uh, and I have read over the years some pretty interesting arguments. So I'll share a couple with you. Uh, Theophilus, the name means loved of God. Uh, now, uh, many will say uh, that this might be addressing, uh, in a poetic way, anybody who's reading uh, that has experienced the love of God. Uh, that, hey, to the loved of God. Um, but I, the problem I have with that is Luke calls this person most excellent. Uh, usually not going to say that just to somebody, I mean, unless it's, you know, from a a Bill and Ted 80s movie where they, they talk excellent. You know, if you, 80s kids know what it is, right? That there was that heavy em emphasis on the word excellent, all right? That's not what's being said here or anything, but that most excellent, that's not something we typically are going to address somebody who's on the same 
uh, plain as us. You're usually going to use that as, as a term of respect for somebody uh, that is in some sort of authority over you. So uh, the, some of the, the things that I figured I'd share would be uh, that, uh, that Paul uh, called uh, Felix and, and Festus, both Roman authorities, most excellent. So somebody in power uh, appears to be being addressed here. And some believe that Theophilus might have even been a Roman official. You know, uh, there was a, a wealthy man in Antioch, according to historical records, and he might have been a financial supporter of Paul's ministry, and, and Luke knew that, and uh, Luke wanted to give him an account. So these are some uh, different things to look at. Like I said, just some stuff to chew on uh, here, and uh, may, maybe that's the case. And some believe that Theophilus is addressing one of the high priests with Theophilus as part of their names uh, in history. Uh, A.D. 37 uh, to 41, Theophilus ben Ananus, uh, the son of Annas, the brother-in-law of Caiaphas. Uh, there's, there's another person in uh, Jewish history uh, with, with that name. Uh, Matthias ben Theophilus served in Jerusalem as high priest from 65 to 66 A.D., uh, right around when the, this letter is being wrapped up. So in, in that time frame, we don't know uh, for sure. Uh, I, I saw one that uh, it might have been the name of a Roman lawyer that, that was uh, defending Paul. Uh, or just uh, the, the one that I've heard the most is that Theophilus might have been a wealthy man that employed Luke. Luke was a physician, and we'll get into that here in a moment, that personally employed Luke. You know, we may not know exactly who it is, but we know we can know why Luke wrote his gospel account, uh, and uh, we can assume that it's the same for this. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The certainty of these things that you've heard these things and you've been instructed in the gospel, but that you may know the certainty that these things did happen. So uh, considering who's writing it, Luke uh, is a Greek. He has a Greek name, a Greek physician. And as I said, uh, possibly a uh, personal physician for Theophilus. We don't know, but we do know that he's very highly spoken of by the apostle Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse, verse 14 says, uh, Paul calls him Luke, the beloved uh, physician. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul mentions that only Luke is with him. So he's a most excellent uh, physician, and only Luke is, is with me. Philemon, verse, uh, there's one chapter, uh, verse 24, uh, he's mentioned as a fellow laborer of Paul's. So this man had a very had a significance, not just in writing, but actually serving alongside the Apostle Paul, and was uh, a a very close friend. Uh, one that when he would say the beloved, that he's the only one with me, uh, and a fellow laborer. Now Luke himself uh, didn't uh, walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but he was one that gathered this information. And once he gathered together and had, a, uh, as he describes, a perfect understanding of what, what, what happened, he wrote it all down. And he wrote his, his gospel account so that Theophilus would know. And, and we know that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write so that we would know. 
And uh, he was uh, used to write a massive portion of the New Testament and uh, the, with the possibility that not only – so the, the book of Luke is 24 chapters long, and each chapter is very long, right? If, you, if you've read through Luke, uh, Luke uh, you, you know that he, he had a lot to say. He was very detailed in, in how he described things. Um, you, can, you can consider the, the gospel according to Mark. That was a more concise uh, gospel account. Uh, but when you look at what Luke wrote in his gospel account and what he writes here in Acts, and if he wrote Hebrews, he's very detailed in what he was writing. That gives us a glimpse into his, his personality and how the Lord worked in and through him. Now, the book of Acts itself is a link to, between the Old Testament and New Testament that followed uh, the gospel accounts. We see that it's the first one listed after the book of John, which was the, the fourth gospel account listed here. And uh, it's written to, as, as you understand, it's, it's a connection for us to read uh, thousand, 2,000 years after this was written. And just consider how many people have been exposed to what Luke wrote and ministered to by what Luke wrote. Just as a man that was willing and driven to do the research and to share what he knew uh, that, that the world would know. The book of Acts explains uh, after the disciples and, and really what's happening in and through their lives after they're filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see them speaking boldly in the name of Christ. We see them performing miracles. You know, my, my mind goes to Acts 3, uh, 3 or 4, yeah, 3, uh, where uh, Peter and John are, are, are walking into the temple, and there's a man begging there, right? And uh, when he asks for uh, alms, you know, and he's looking at them, it says, as though to receive something, Peter says, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. It's the name of Christ. It's the fact that they were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit that they now had a different uh, way of, of life for them. We know that we, we've seen Peter. Uh, we saw his lowest points and we saw him being restored. We, we studied that last week. Now we see him not only being restored to fellowship uh, with the Lord, that the Lord would restore his soul, but restored as a leader within the church. And then we see him being filled with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit poured out upon his life. And we'll, we'll talk about that here uh, as we continue here. But uh, that when we're considering the book of Acts, we have to uh, really look at what's happening here and have this as our mindset. Now, it covers around a 30-year period and ends at right around 61 to 64 A.D. So it's, 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 cover, it's spanning a long period of time. Because I don't know about you, but I, early in my walk and in, in studying the, the scripture, I'm like, why isn't this happening in my life? There's got to be something wrong. Why isn't there a miracle? A miracle? Like, how come this hasn't happened and that hasn't happened? And I, I got to a point where I'm like, well, do I know the Lord? Have I experienced the spirit? You know, and realize that and, and where are these miracles? And these cover 30 years. 30 years are covered here. It's not, and we know that the Holy Spirit was ministering and he's, he's working. Uh, and, and notice it's the Holy Spirit as a he. He's a person. He's the third person in the Trinity uh, rather than it's. You know, so I encourage you, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm most likely not going to put you in a weird spot when we're talking. Holy Spirit, it. Uh, you know, I might lovingly remind you that he is a he because he's, he's, he's our God. 
you know, and, and uh, we, we need to recognize him as such. We can call him he, but the, the Holy Spirit is working. And, and this is a record over 30 years of ministry. What's what's happening? And that's what it's covering here. Why was this written? To document the history of the early church, to record what happened as the disciples and the apostles were fulfilling the Great Commission. Right. Because if you consider the end of the gospel accounts, they were uh, the the. Uh, apostles uh, who were then disciples, so disciples, one's being that's being disciplined in a way of thought, and then the apostle is the one that is sent out. They they become apostles once Jesus gave them a commission and sent them out. Matthew twenty eight verses nineteen and twenty say, "Go therefore." This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's the commission. Once they're given that command, they can't sit on their hands anymore, right? If that's what their plan was. They've been given a command by the Lord to go and spread the gospel. Acts chapter 1, which we're going to read, verse 8 says, this is Jesus speaking, and we'll, we'll cover this also, but because of you know what we're discussing right now, Jesus said, but you shall receive, speaking to the apostles, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has, gone, uh, has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So what it's recording is after the apostles were given uh, the command, they were told to go and wait in Jerusalem. And once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were, go, they were to go and spread the gospel. And we're, we're going to cover this even more. In Luke chapter 1, uh, sorry, in verse 1, Luke uh, speaks of what Jesus began to do and teach. And, and I know we haven't even read verse 1, but we're still setting the table a little bit. Luke says uh, he's speaking of what Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. This, uh, this book was recorded that the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and it's recording what the Holy Spirit did through the apostles after Jesus' ascension. It's, uh, it's ushering in the church era, if you want to look at it that way. There's the, okay, Jesus has ascended, and, and he's no longer here. And when Jesus left this world, he said he's not going to leave us as orphans. Or leave, He was speaking to them specifically. not going to leave you as orphans. And he promised the Holy Spirit would come when he left. And the Holy Spirit did. And we're go, that's what we're going to study through. We'll find a main focus on the ministries of the Spirit through two main characters that are studied. Paul and Peter. Peter first, and then Paul. We see some of the other disciples mentioned, uh, and uh, some that are brought uh, brought to light and, and shown that they how they filled. But we're mostly going to see uh, the Lord speaking through and study the Lord speaking, th you know, boldly uh, through Peter, and so boldly that that he's standing in opposition and 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 is beaten and celebrating what had happened. To him, you know, be, not many of us are going to celebrate after beating, but they were celebrating that they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. That when Peter was preaching, the the man that once denied Christ in public, then preached boldly in public because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Three thousand people were saved that day. You know, just to see what 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 happened in his life. And then we consider Paul when we see him mentioned at the very end of chapter seven. 
and of, of Acts. And then in 8, uh, we understand that he's a persecutor of the church, that he hates Christians, and that he have, had obtained, uh, and, and when you get into Acts chapter 9, we see that he obtained permission to go persecute the church and to arrest them. And even if they're killed, nobody cared. Just, you know what, he got the permission and he was going. He's on his way to Damascus, and uh, he meets Jesus Christ on the road, and his life changes in that moment. And and uh, the Lord ministered to him and spoke to him. And, you know, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was persecuting the church. And Jesus is addressing him, saying, why are you persecuting me? It was the name of Christ that he was persecuting and the, the, the followers of Christ. So once he had that interaction with Christ, his life changed. And remember, he was blind. And uh, he's, brought, uh, he's brought in to believers. And they breed him as Brother Saul. And his life is changed, and the Holy Spirit ministers to him. It changes him, and he becomes a man that is so on fire for God that he can't be shut up. And he gets beaten. He gets stoned to death and, and, and brought back. There, there's so much that we're going to learn through these. This is a very exciting study for us uh, as, we're, as we're moving through. But we're going to see a, a very large focus on uh, the Lord using Paul and Peter as we're, as we're progressing through this. In Acts chapter 17, there's a statement said by the enemies of the gospel that they said that the world had been turned upside down by the gospel. That's what they're describing. Those that had turned the world upside down. If you notice the world today, <laughs> the, the world very much needs to be. And I would say that they're saying turn the world upside down, right side up. We're, we're in a bad place and we need the gospel uh, to uh, right the ship, uh, so to speak. And we see in the book of Acts that the, the more persecution grows, the more the, the flame is fanned, right? Is the more persecution coming, there's a dispersion, and then it just keeps growing. The God, and that's why they're saying that. They're saying the world's getting turned upside down. It's an uncontroll, uncontrollable fire, and, and it's just taking over. So they, they get frustrated. We need to understand that we, by the power of the same Holy Spirit, can be used the same way. God wants to use us the same way He used them. The same way. He wants to, to He wants us to be willing and open to what He has for our lives and that we would be in submission to His leadership in our lives and His Spirit will work in and through us. We may not be the one to preach and thousands of people come but we might be like the one called to go to one Roman centurion, right? Ethiopian, sorry. Uh, Ethiopian eunuch, sorry. Being called to that one, proclaim the gospel. And we're probably not going to see somebody walking around in that garb. We need to be ready for what is God doing in my life at work? What is God doing as I'm going to the grocery store? Am I being called to plant a seed right now? Wait a minute. This person said that they just met this person in our church. I'm here. I see what God's doing. I'm just going to water the seed as he's leading me to do. As the spirit leads, as he guides us, as he presents us with opportunities to share the gospel, just be ready. Now, we may question, am I equipped to do so? Understand this. Jen and I had a conversation. Uh, I think it was Friday night, and we were talking about this. And She was very blessed, and she shared this with me. Uh, and uh, she was at the uh, the pastor's wives conference in Maryland, and she was given a book 
and in the book, it's a reminder, and I've heard this several times. But it was a, it was a reminder to my heart that the Lord would minister to me, uh, you know, with with things that I can deal with sometimes. And uh, there's a quote in there, and it says that God doesn't call the equipped; He equips the called. Okay, so when when we are following the Lord and we're we're seeking Him, and He calls us to do something. Our enemy and our flesh are, are often going to get to the point where you can't do that. You know, I've, I've shared with you guys several times. When I first started leading worship, scared to death. Scared to death. And I can't tell you I'm not like that now. I, I do it because we need somebody to do it, so I'm doing it. And God is, I have, you guys know the joke, I haven't been hit with any tomatoes, so, you know. But it's the Lord equips the called, right? And, and as we just follow him and do what he tells us to do. It, whatever it is might be frightening to us. But if we are called to do that and we know that's what the Lord is calling, we're better off doing that than to run in the other direction, aren't we? We run in the other direction. God has to say, what are you doing here hiding in this cave, Elijah? Right? Or put your name there. What are you doing? What are you running from? What are you scared of? And that, that God would whisper to us and speak to us and give us that peace. Amen. So the book of Acts is an account of those that took the Great Commission seriously and followed Christ by the Holy Spirit boldly uh, were used to spread the gospel. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So where it's a saying here, a former account, what's being said in verse 1, the former account, uh, that same person is being addressed in Luke. That's, uh, like I said before, it's why it's widely believed that this is, is Luke, and there's really nothing else to uh, really convince any, any other way. So, and uh, he says here of what Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. Now, he's referring to the gospel account, and he shared what Jesus did and said and ministered, and he was very detailed and thorough in that account. Now Luke is explaining what happened after Jesus' ascension. So he's explaining, okay, I gave you that former account of what Jesus did and everything, and now we're going to focus on uh, on what happened after he was taken up. Now he speaks of, in the uh, in the second half of uh, verse 2, he says, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now these commandments, if you would turn with me to Luke 24, verse 44. <clears throat> Luke 24. Take a left in your Bible, go through John backwards, and you'll find Luke 24. <clears throat> Luke 24, verse 44. We're going to read 44 through 53. <clears throat> Speaking of these commandments, Luke is, is describing Jesus speaking. And verse 44, it says, Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 
and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. But I send the promise of the Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they continually and, and continually in the temple praising God and blessing God. Uh, sorry, praising and blessing God. Amen. That, pro, that, that command that was given was for them, and you see in verse 49 that Jesus had just said he's going to send the promise of the Father, and he says, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That was the commandment that was given. You were to go to Jerusalem and wait. You're supposed to be there and wait, and what I promised to you, the Holy Spirit, uh, is is going to come to you. He's saying this to the ones that were sent, the apostles. It says here uh, in what we just studied in verse 45, it says that he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he goes on to say that you are witnesses, and he tells them to wait for the promise of the Father, to stay in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high, the Holy Spirit being poured upon them. And empowering them is what they were supposed to wait for. They were, they were supposed they okay, we got it. Whoa, uh, Jesus has this last thing. And he knew, no doubt, that once he was taken up, that they were going to be like, what next? Right? Because look what happened last time, right? After Jesus had revealed himself to him twice, they're all kind of there. And Peter's like, I'm going to go fishing, right? So the next thing they needed was that direction, go in Jerusalem and wait. And they, they, they were told to do so, and they were told that they were going to be uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, if we go back to Acts chapter 1. Hopefully you kept your finger there or a marker. Acts 1 verse 3 says, To whom also he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, uh, verse 3 is speaking that Jesus presented him, himself alive after his suffering. Now, the Romans were so sure that he was dead that they didn't even break his legs, remember? And then they take the spear and jab it into his side, blood and water, water poured out. I almost sounded like I was from Philly right there. Uh, blood and water poured out. That 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 uh, we know that that sack around his heart was was punctured, and he was most definitely dead, beaten to right to the brink of death, then nailed to a cross, stabbed in the heart. He was dead, and he rose again uh, from the dead. And then he presented himself to them for forty days. He ate with them. Remember, we studied that last week. Showed them his scars when they were doubting whether he was risen from the dead. And he taught them and ministered to them. As we just read in Luke 24, he, he was teaching them of what was to come next. 
Now, it says that there were many infallible proofs. The word infallible means incapable of error. And we would also consider that it's solid under thorough examination. Now, when we're considering what's an infallible proof, there are some of them mentioned there, but First uh, Corinthians, I'll read these verses to you. You can uh, just follow along on the screen. First Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. These are the infallible proofs. 500 witnesses don't see something that can't be backed up. You go into court with 500 credible witnesses, your story is going to be backed up, five hundred seen by over 500 people. There are some that will say, remember, there was the fear that Jesus' resurrection would be uh, a, a thing that would spread and that his enemies didn't want to, uh, want to spread. So what do they do? They bribe the guards. Hey, don't worry about it. We got this. And they, they pay him off. They don't want the message of the gospel being spread, that he is risen from the dead. They don't want that. In fact, the, if you consider that veil of the temple that was torn in two, they sewed it back up. That God, Remember when Jesus died and that veil was torn from top to bottom? That veil, that very veil, was, was sewn back together again. That's man's work, trying to undo what God did. That's an infallible proof. There's no way that thing just happened to tear right down the middle. That veil separate, was, was a uh, symbol of separation between God and man. 18 inches thick. You're talking about teams of oxen on every side to rip that apart. Once it got ripped, they're like, well, man, what do we do now? Uh, that, that, Joey, got your you know, sewing kit here? Hold it and pull out the pocket one. Probably need a little bit bigger one, right? Start sewing that thing back up together. It's crazy. Infallible proofs. Dead man don't do the things that Jesus did. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He did stay for 40 days. Now, it says here that he was seen by them for 40 days. Between his resurrection and his ascension was, was 40 days. And that 40, uh, for any of us that have been in the scripture and uh, been through some Bible studies and everything, that, that number 40 is probably going to jump into your mind. Uh, that uh, it's it's a significant number in the scriptures, and it's often known as a number of judgment or hardship. A few examples: it rained forty days and forty nights uh, at the time of the flood. You know, Moses spent forty years in the desert tending flocks after killing the Egyptian. Moses was on Mount Sinai forty days and forty nights. Forty years, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted after fasting for 40 days. So it's not exclusive that, that judgment and hardship uh, would be affiliated with the number 40, but often it is. So uh, as you're considering uh, the, the number 40, now there is a risk in numerology. There is a risk in getting too caught up, trying to get into a Bible code, right? You guys remember that when that came out? 
Cool. Okay, don't place your trust in it because what do you do? You place your trust all through that and then you find out, wait a minute, that's totally flawed. It's fallible. Then we've placed our trust in a number system. Do I believe that God did an awesome number work in here that we're maybe not aware of? Great. Yes, that's cool. We're called to know the scriptures and to know Christ. We're not called to, yes, search the deep things of the scriptures and know God more. But we can get caught up in, in focusing more on numerology and, and symbolism and those things and miss the whole point that the, all the scriptures, remember uh, Jesus in, in what he was saying in, uh, in Luke, uh, I got I to figure it out, in uh, Luke 24, you don't, don't need to turn there, but he said that, uh, that the things being fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, the whole Old Testament was all about Jesus. Then you have the whole, uh, all four gospel accounts in the whole New Testament. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. We can get so caught up in little things about this and we forget what the main, remember, remember there were warnings in, uh, in uh, the book of Revelation. Some were so focused on works, right? But you've left your first love. Right, Christ needs to be our first love. Numerology can be cool. I just encourage you guard your heart against because we can get to a point where that type of thing uh, can become a heresy, and uh, which is a false teaching, and and can be something that's a stumbling block for us. Forty days, awesome. It's really cool. It's it's symbolic. There is something to it in the scriptures. Just don't get wrapped up in it. My encouragement to you is, okay, cool. Forty days, awesome. You know, and, and I want to study all the 40, study the 40 days things. You're not going to be led astray by doing that. But be careful because then there's extra biblical books that are written and, and uh, you know, sermons that are taught or, or whatever that can get off on the scriptures. The scriptures themselves are sufficient. The Bible that we have is everything that we need to know God and understand him. That's what the scriptures say. Okay, so sometimes we can get a little bit off track if we get into those things. But just understand, God spoke very very plainly in the scriptures to reveal himself and what he wants us to know. There's a proper place for numerology. I'm just, uh, just a heads up, a warning uh, that there can be some really weird stuff to come from that stuff too. But. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being <clears throat> assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So looking at verse 4, uh, we can see that there's some overlapping between Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, where he's talking again about what was said in the promise of the Father and, uh, and the, uh, the things that were coming next. And then there, we also see the uh, remain in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. 
I'm going to read a few verses to you from John chapter 14. Verse 15 says, If you love me, Jesus speaking to the disciples, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 25 in John 14 says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Two more chapters up in John 16, verses 13 and 14 says, Jesus is speaking, uh, speaking of Jesus. However, when he, the, sorry, this is Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. And uh, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is telling these guys and he explained those things to them that and, and remember, he opens their minds to the scripture and he tells them the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of everything that I said. They heard a lot from Jesus. They heard a lot of lessons, a lot of sermons. The only way for them to remember everything that he said was the Holy Spirit to remind them. You guys ever been that way? I'm awful with remembering things. I was just talking to some guys before church, and I'm like, sometimes I don't even remember what I said earlier in the morning or what I did or where I was. You guys ever been like that? Like, what did I do this morning? You know, we can get so, uh, Lori used to say that we're so leaky, right? Uh, and that's, she was speaking spiritually that we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. But even in our minds, we can get that way. We need the Spirit to remind us of what the Lord has taught us and how he is, has ministered to us. We need the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is speaking of uh, in, in back in Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 4 through 8, he's speaking of an empowerment that's coming from the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of a baptism from heaven that would be superior to man's baptism. Now, consider the Spirit, how the Spirit works. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that this Holy Spirit was with them. And we've discussed this before as a church, but when you're considering how the Spirit works uh, in and in, in through the life of man, there are three uh, Greek words to know, uh, uh, para and an epi. Para would, would be with, right? So the Holy Spirit, we see that, that the Holy Spirit is with Israel, uh, throughout the Old Testament, right? And then what did Jesus say? That as we profess our faith in him, that he and the Father will come and reside in us, that his Holy Spirit, that God himself would then indwell us, right? That's N. The para is God with us, leading us to him. N means we have the Spirit, and now we're walking uh, with God's Spirit in us. The epi is upon, that the Spirit will be poured out upon our lives and that we would walk in the power and minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. So those, those three things are important for us. At salvation, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you accept him as your Savior, then God lives inside us. We may question that, right? We might get to the point where we're questioning, Does God? how could God be living in me if I'm still dealing with this sin? I can't sin. I have the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> no, the Holy Spirit's there to rip the sin away from us, right? Our spiritual claws on the inside don't want to let this go. And God is just pulling our fingers away, saying, let me take this away from you. This is going, those things need to be ripped out. So that the Holy Spirit residing in us, but then when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon our lives, the empowerment, what did Jesus say would come as a result of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them? Look at verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what happens? And you shall be witnesses to me. It's the power to be witnesses. That's what we receive from the Holy Spirit. Guys, there are, and I've, I've shared this recently, but a, a loved one asked me a question. They, she says, what is baptism by fire? A friend asked me that. Have you been baptized by fire? And I'm like, does your friend go to a Pentecostal church? And I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not killing, I'm not you know, dogging on our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. You have to realize that, that there, there can be a more of an emphasis, like we were talking about with numerology, on certain things that have happened in the scripture rather than, Oh my goodness, you're now a believer and you're walking with Christ? Because what will happen is they'll say, did you speak in tongues? No, I haven't spoken. What does that mean? Then you're not a Christian yet. Really? That happens. People are told, guys, what is more crushing? Than, okay, let's say somebody is just radically, like they're at a point of brokenness from addiction, from whatever it is. And they say, you know what? I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And they're just on cloud nine, right? And they're so excited. And someone comes and just stabs the tires, right? <laughs> deflates them, sorry. Just deflates them. Why would we do Why would somebody do that? That's from our enemy. To discourage them from walking. From the empowerment, right? I don't know about you, but when I came to know the Lord and I started following him, I'm like, I'm over in Italy, so I'm away from my family, but I'm like, phone, it was, it cost so much money to call back, but I'm like emailing my family and loved ones like, hey, you need to know Jesus, and, you know, all these things. And when they call and, and all those things, that, that, that fire that's burning in our lives, why would someone want to quench that? Because of misteachings, because of, of, of false doctrines. No, Jesus said that when they are, are filled with the power that comes from on high, they'll be witnesses. That's what they were, they were empowered with. Makes a difference in anybody's life and ministry. You know, may none of us as Christians live a day without the power of the Holy Spirit uh, leading us and guiding us. If we do, go back, fall on your face again. Just continue to fall on your face to the Lord. Do not give up. Don't walk away. But... We are going to experience victory and uh, blessings that we'd never know um, in this world uh, that as we follow him, he's going to bless us. So they asked Jesus, is this the time you're going to restore Israel? So they're still focused on the restoration of Israel. You know, there, there's, uh, Jesus has to tell them, hey, you know, they had, they had just, uh, Jesus had just been put to death and rose from the dead again, uh, from, from the dead. And now they're at a point right now. They're like, okay, so that's happened. Is it time? Or is is now the time where you're gonna you're gonna rule and reign? And we're gonna be right here with you. And Jesus is saying, there's something so much more important. What you need to do is just go wait in Jerusalem. You don't need anything else. All I want you to do is go wait in Jerusalem. The gospel message needs to be preached. I've got something so much more important than the restoration of the of of Israel's own sovereign power. I have the gospel for you to preach and to spread. 
And that's what they're, they're, they were given, the power to spread the gospel. And if you consider, when we get to the book of Acts, and Peter just preaches the bark, and, and, and well, he, he was, as the, the uh, apostles and those gathered in Jesus' name in the upper room in Jerusalem, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, I, I understand that. And as they are filled with the Spirit, and they do speak in tongues, and it's not this unintelligible uh, language. It's speaking the praises of God in the languages of everybody outside around them. They're like, why am I hearing that? We've got people uh, from from here, from there, and, and why am I hearing the praises of God in my language? These guys don't know my language. It was the praises of God to get their attention. And then Peter is able to preach. He's like, hey, because there's some of the scoffers are like, oh, these guys are trash. He's like, and Peter says, no, it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's the first, the third hour of the day. Nobody's drunk here. And then he goes and preaches the gospel, and they're pricked to their heart. And and uh, they they uh, ask Jesus, they, uh, sorry, they ask Peter, uh, they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. The question was, what do we do? Now that the truth, you guys have been empowered. You know, We, we just heard you uh, speaking the praises of God. And then we hear the gospel message. What do we do? And his first thing is repent, turn to God. Accept Jesus Christ. That's the power they received, right? That Jesus said they were going to get was that power to preach the gospel. And where did that happen? Jerusalem, right? Where they were told to wait. Isn't that awesome? Our God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't make mistakes. They were told to go and wait. I know you're all geared up and you're ready to go. No, I got something different for you. Go into Jerusalem. And they went in an upper room. And they're sitting there and they're praying in one accord. And we'll get into that next week. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But as they're there, then they're empowered. And then what were they empowered to do? Preach the gospel like he just said in our study in, in chapter 1. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus, remember, he prepared his disciples as he was teaching them. I must go that the Holy Spirit must come. So he told them the promise is coming. And after he said that to them, he ascended into heaven. So he went up into the clouds and if you're familiar with the scriptures, we know how is Jesus coming back on the clouds, right? Matthew 23, uh, 24, verse 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. 
And where is he going when he when he comes in the clouds? Where is he going? The Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4 says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of, Ol the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half the mountain shall move toward the north and half toward the south. When Jesus comes, there's going to be no, like, did Jesus just come? Like, everybody's going to see him all around the world. It's going to be a cataclysmic event that everybody is going to look and they're going to know who it is, that Jesus Christ is coming on the clouds. So when, as they're looking up, the, 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 uh, and they're, they're kind of in amazement and, and everything. The angels come. Now, some will say that that was um, uh, maybe like Moses and Elijah spoke to them. Uh, I don't see anything in the scripture to, to, to back that up. It just says men. Another thing. We'll find that out in heaven. So if, you've, if you're caught up on that, do some studying and believe what you want to. But I wouldn't, but, you know, anyways, don't get too caught up on it. But those two men uh, that, that stood there uh, just said to them, you know, why do you stand gazing up? Jesus was taken up into heaven, and he's going to come back. But remember, Jesus had just prepared them. When I go, you're going to be filled. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's not going to leave them as orphans and that they are going to be empowered. He told them that several times, John 14, John 16. You're going to see those things. And then he told them in Luke 24. And uh, so they're, they're experiencing what Jesus said they were going to. Verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem on the uh, Sabbath day's journey. So they returned to Jerusalem just as Jesus told them to. You were told to return to Jerusalem and wait, so they go and do it. Let that be said of us. Jesus said it, so I do it. You know, let's uh, get into the habit of doing that. Verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they returned to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room, and they continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. They're practicing their faith. Jesus is no longer there. But even though Jesus isn't there, they know they were given specific instructions. They went there, and once they get there, they're like, let's pray. So now they're all praying, and they're, they're, they're presenting their request to God. And uh, they're, they're spending time together in prayer. It says in one accord in prayer. So they're united, and when they're united, what are they doing? They're praying. It says that Mary and Jesus' brothers were there. That's a significant thing to, to consider. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 says, Is this not, this is uh, the, the people that, that knew who Jesus was. They said, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, uh, Simon, and Judas? So if you're wondering what his brother's names were, there they are from Matthew um, chapter 13. And at one point, they all thought he was out of his mind. These same people, so... So I just wanted to add that in there. Those people that were mentioned, if you want their names, uh, that's from Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. At one point, they believed Jesus was out of his mind. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, as Jesus is ministering, it says, But when his own people heard about this, they went to lay hold of him, for they said he's out of his mind. His own people. 
saying that he's out of his mind. So something changed. We see that. Consider James. You know, they, they, had, they had heard about Jesus and they were uh, familiar with stories. They had head knowledge of Jesus because they knew him, kind of their big brother. But they didn't know Jesus as their Savior. They became witnesses of his resurrection and could no longer deny their older brother, is what we can see as we're kind of filling in uh, here and, and looking between what is written here. We understand that something happened here. They went from being skeptics, and we see that James became a leader within the early church. And uh, consider Paul himself, upon conversion, went to James. Peter went to James. James spoke at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, when he's talking about, you know, what, what when there's they're having this discussion, like Gentiles are coming to faith, what do we do, <laughs> right? They're trying to figure this all out. What do what do we teach them? What do we tell them to do? And uh, they're all considering, you know, how do they advise them that we're coming to faith? And James told them that they shouldn't trouble them. That they you give them godly advice. That they that they shouldn't participate in pagan worship. And there were there were other things, and that they should help them in their faith and encourage them in grace over the law, encouraging them in grace versus the law. Do we put them, because there's the discussion during this, like, wait a minute, Peter's like, if we if we tell them they have to embrace grace and the law, we're putting more on them than we had to as, as Jews. He's like, that's not right. And then James, after everybody had talked, James had to, had to speak, and he's talking about, you know what, we just need to love them. And we need to pour, I'm speaking in my own words here, but he's talking about, we just need to encourage them in grace. They need, they need to just walk with the Lord. That same James uh, wrote the book of James. So when you're, when you're reading through the scripture, uh, James and John, when, when we've read through and everything, that James, John's brother, he lost his life. He became a martyr. He lost his head. This James, when you read the book of James, it's written by James, the brother of Jesus. And how did he identify himself in verse 1? The bondservant of Christ. My brother, my master. That bondservant, you guys will remember back in, in uh, the Old Testament that the, the bondservant would be one that would willingly have their ear nailed to the wall and have, a, have an awl uh, to the door. Uh, have an awl driven through their ear and a, and a gold earring placed in their ear as a saying, I am a willful servant in this home. What he's saying is I'm a willful servant of Jesus Christ for life. That's what that would mean. They pound it through like I'm a part of this family for life. And he's saying I'm a part of Jesus Christ for life when he calls himself the bond servant of Jesus Christ. Before he told them they thought he was crazy. Something happened and now he's there gathered with the other believers. It's 11.30. We're going to stop right there. Uh, and we'll, we'll pick up next week and, and discuss um, you know, what happens from here. Those, those that are gathered, and what we'll see is they, they, as they're gathered here, Peter uh, realizes something, and, uh, and he comes and he makes a proposal that they need to uh, replace Judas. And, and he goes, and here I am telling you, I said, I'm going to stop. Uh, you know what? We got three minutes. Let's go through it. <laughs> Verse 15. Sorry, guys. I know you just, I should never do that to you. And I'm, I apologize, but it's kind of one of those sorry, not sorry. But okay. Verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number 
uh, of names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all who, all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language a Kaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one uh, live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out, uh, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John uh, to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, uh, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And when they had prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, should, uh, shall, sorry, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two have you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So Peter stood to address the 120 people here, and he quoted from two separate psalms, and he notes that the Holy Spirit spoke through David, the writer of psalms, uh, those specific psalms. And uh, you know, this is the first time that we see that, that Peter was quoting the Old Testament, Psalm uh, 69 verse 25 says, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And Psalm 108 verse 9 says, let another one uh, take his office. So God inspired men to write and they did. And he used them to prophesy. It's even We see that even throughout the Psalms. As I said, we were having that discussion. The Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, they all speak. Uh, and uh, they weren't written uh, by mistake. So Peter recommends... Uh, that they meet the criteria uh, that these two that they're considering. So they've got a whole group of 120 people, and he's like, all right, we need another one to take uh, take over. Uh, they need to meet these two criteria, that they were with them throughout Jesus' ministry, and they were witness to his resurrection and ascension. We need one. They need two. So they came up with Joseph and Matthias as the only two there. And they ended up uh, casting lots, and uh, they uh, it fell upon Matthias, and they made Matthias an apostle. This is the last time Matthias is mentioned in the New Testament. Some believe that Paul is actually the last, uh, the one that would uh, was supposed to take over um, uh, because Matthias was never mentioned. And uh, important to realize that not many of the other disciples were mentioned uh, uh, after this either. Uh, but uh, another uh, reason that some might say that Paul's ministry uh, Paul was the one is because his ministry was very powerful and there was a, a great focus on the Apostle Paul uh, in, in the book of Acts. And, uh, but he didn't meet any of the selection criteria given. He, would, he didn't walk with Jesus through his ministry and he wasn't there as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. 
uh, and his ascension. So he did, so there are the, the two arguments either way. We don't know. Uh, those arguments can be can be done. Um, I, again, don't see uh, a great need for any division over it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says this. The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. God doesn't make mistakes. Whatever happened, whether Peter was speaking out of turn or not, we don't, you know, uh, I think that might have been, personally, I think that might have been addressed and that it was supposed to be Matthias, but uh, I can have a conversation with people and go, oh, that's good too. Not going to get wrapped up on it. But uh, what I will say is we'll find out in heaven. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 14 says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Amen? Amen. All right. Now will you stand with me and we'll pray? Didn't mean to play that trick on you, and I kept you like three minutes extra, but now we can start out in chapter 2 next week. Father, we are so blessed by your grace. And Lord, we are, are, are so blessed that we have the spirit that you, as you told the apostles, that you wouldn't leave them as orphans and that we would experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. That God, you live in us and that you teach us, you guide us. Those scriptures that just told us what you do in our lives, you empower us. We thank you for that. We thank you that we're not called to follow you on our own strength. But you do all the work. We just need to obey and trust you and follow you. Thank you for that. Pray that we will do those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you hadn't planned to, but still want to, fellowship dinner right now. Uh, we're going to get everything set up. we got plenty of food.